0: Welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always, I'm joined by Will. Tonight, I'm wearing a headset, Murden. How's it going tonight, mate? I've
1: gone full gamer tonight, my friend. You yeah. look like a fucking douchebag. I do and this is what I'm like in the office as well. So, I'm, I'm glad that I get some honest feedback because that's not the sort of stuff that I get thrown at me around the office. So, it's nice to hear that from you because I feel like a douchebag. So, I'm glad <laughs> I'm, I'm not just getting that wrong personally. Uh, I've nailed
0: it. Yeah, I mean, not only that, but it sounds like I'm talking to someone from a call center in a certain part of Asia.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean,
0: trying to fix my, you know, broken Telstra line or something.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not going to give you an accent or anything (laughs) here. I'm going to steer clear of that. This show is better than that. Yeah, uh, I'm sure we've got a whole bunch of new listeners coming on. We're, we're getting closer and closer to college football season. We're starting to build a bit more of a following. So if you are a first-time listener, we're a high, highbrow show. We're not we're not st- stooping down to that level. Not yet.
0: Uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel like we've come in with a bit of a pep in our step tonight. It's good. We're off to a flying start here.
1: I think so, yeah. We, I mean, we had a good weekend together.
0: We did. We did. It was Caught like... Up. It's like super old man weekend though. Like real dad kind of set up. Like we didn't go fishing or fall driving or anything, but like we, were close. we sat around. Yeah. I mean, like that would have been the next step. Um I mean, we were sitting around a fire at one point and yeah, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a weird setup these days. I ain't going to, I mean, I like pubs and bars and stuff even open. I assume they are. That's yeah, they're where open.
1: they're open here in Adelaide
0: nightclubs. I think that's
1: happening if it hasn't already. Like, it's certainly around the corner if it hasn't happened already.
0: God, there's going to be so many morning after pills taken when those clubs open <laughs> up But again. Like, that is going to, chemists are just going to get bombarded.
1: <laughs> It'll be like a toilet paper epidemic. <laughs> yeah. All morning after pill.
0: Um, all right. Now, we do have a bit of news to get to before we kick into the show. So, tonight we're going to have a bit of a chat about. And I'll talk us through the theme in a, in a second about the direction we head with it. Before we do that, let's get to some news. Uh, and that is, firstly, we'll start something very close to your heart. And OK State is continuing to spiral into a world of trouble on their football front with you know players not buying into or you know, unbuying into, if that's a term, the Gundy coaching situation and demanding change. So uh, has there been any more movement on this front and, you know, where has uh, this situation developed to? Oh,
1: thank God it has finally started to die down, like because for the last fortnight, it has been one of those things that I, I messaged you when it all first broke with with my initial thoughts and you were like yeah it's gonna blow over you know don't worry about it and I could see mm, current current uh, state of affairs across the country and the world I don't think so and it certainly didn't and it, and it just kept kept blowing up so for for those of you who haven't seen or, or heard what happened, uh, Tuba Hubbard. Uh, one of the top five players in the country, I think. So oh, you, you, could, you could All probably right. say. Well, he was, what, a Heisman candidate last year and, and is returning. So I think that's fair to say. Uh, came out and put his coach on blast, essentially, by putting a tweet out there that he wasn't happy on with a T-shirt that his coach was wearing. Uh, it, was rep, it was the logo of a news network that has is linked to far-right ideologies, often cited by Donald Trump. Uh, and it, it seems like it's batshit crazy news network. But Coach is wearing it in his own time, going fishing with his kids. Players come out, put him on blast and said, you know, not appropriate. I won't be doing anything uh, for the school or anything to do with Oklahoma State until we have change. And yeah, I mean, then a few hours later, video emerged of the two of them kind of embracing each other, saying, "Yep, that was that was not appropriate." Or you know, I, I can see, I, I can see how you you would be angry about this. We're all good. We can work towards change, and you know. Twitter out a field day with that because it looked like a hostage video. like It, it felt really rehearsed and forced and it was a little bit crass. So then on the back of that, it, it generated more media for it. Chuba was then interviewing on ESPN and some really big shows over in the States. And this is where I started to get quite frustrated with it, to be, to be honest, because we kept hearing we want change we want we want change and it was just at that level we want change there were no specifics and i'm not asking for like you know minute details but something more than change has got to be kind of behind this there were, there were no specifics around outside of the t-shirt what the issues were there was like an underlying yeah there are problems but there was no specifics there and then in terms of change it's yeah we're working towards change but again nothing specifics so, I don't know, man. It was it was just so frustrating to see that. It's it's an interesting dynamic that we certainly see things have flipped almost now where the players, especially the star players, hold so much more power than they ever did. Uh, and, and they're able to, you know, call out the establishment, call out the school. I mean, Mike Gundy's been there, what, 15 years, the most successful uh, coach the school's ever had. He's taken them to levels they've never been. And... It, it almost feels like he had more of a say, you know, Chuba had more of a say in this, in this whole thing and that he had to take a back seat and, and wear it.
0: But this goes beyond, uh, you know, winning and losing and success on the football field. Like this is a bigger social issue than can you score more points by getting your leather ball into a piece of, you know, painted grass more than the other team. So I don't... Know that his track record, you know, certainly plays into that
1: or not, uh, but that's his but job. I, I mean, his job as head coach is to win football games, and yep. like I one hundred percent understand what you're saying. And if they're able to come out with specific examples, like as, as a playing group, where. You know, there's racial inequality. There's, you know, any of that sort of stuff. Then I can understand when you're coming from. But it just seemed to be like, oh, I'm not overly happy with the situation in general. There's not, there's nothing there. You know, it started to come out towards the end. Oh, we wish we had a better relationship with the head coach. He doesn't feel approachable. You know, we we wish, we wish we felt like we were closer to him. That's not his fucking job. I don't go up to my CEO's office and, and you know, like, oh, I wish, I wish we were better friends, you know. I wish you, you would come and pat me on the back when I'm doing well. That, that's not how these programs – well, some programs are on that. Some programs aren't. And, and like, that, that should be made apparent through the recruiting process. It's just it feels a little bit like I'm not getting what I want and I'm using this platform to, to make this change where previously – I think what I've really liked about a team atmosphere is that discipline and structure and expectations that are laid out that a team buys into. And that's probably what concerns me the most about this is that the team feels like they're above that, that that they deserve something different than what the program has previously stood for.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm probably not going to touch this one because I feel like it's a giant landmine because I think it goes beyond some of this stuff. And I, you know, I'm not... I hear what you're saying and i I do get the frustration um but again some of the comments and and things and the you know the media releases and dialogue that is occurring right now well actually it's not really dialogue in lots of ways it's monologue in terms of it's people having an opinion and they're entitled to that opinion they're entitled to have their viewpoint and we do live in a world where you don't just shut up and and do as you're told. We know that young people do have a lot of power and they hold a lot of power and they demand that people listen to them and you have to. Uh, And, you know, unfortunately part of that is that holding popular opinion now is as good as stating facts. And that's a dangerous situation that we live in, but that is the world we live in. So you do need to be a little bit careful as a head coach and you are one... False sentence one, you know, misinterpreted action one, awkward behaviour away from having yourself fired, your reputation dragged through the mud, and you know that's just the world we live in at the moment. So hopefully they can sort that situation. A, a, a team that hasn't been able to sort their situation is Iowa, and Kirk Ferentz is in a whole world of trouble around. You know he's been there for forever like at least 156 years and all of a sudden there's a whole lot of players coming out now saying they hated their time at Iowa they didn't enjoy it it was you know painful and and overly rigorous uh, to the point where you know it was really really difficult and his head is on the chopping block now and I don't know that he survives this
1: yeah I mean the old school coaches are going the way of the dinosaur all of a sudden yeah. It's, it's you know you need to adapt to with the times as a coach you've seen all the, the good coaches do it Belichick does it at the NFL level he, he's constantly adapting how he goes things it, it, it's not they have the Patriot way but it's it's not set and forget there's always tweaks there's always changes there's always a whole heap that goes along with that Uh, Saban's the same at at Alabama you know it's not all one way it's moving so it's you you hit the nail on the head it's it's a different world that we live in and it's starting to catch up with a a number of these senior coaches that we're seeing around the place and
0: I think I live in that world I think that's the other thing I, I, I do live in that world where you're not just uh, a teacher or a, a coach you are also a psychologist you're also a parent to some of these um, kids you're also you know a doctor mental health all these sorts of things that you deal with on a daily basis You're a relationship advisor you're a you know whatever it's not just about being a coach anymore and and you know that old school mentality isn't gonna f- it'll fly with some kids but not a lot uh, yeah, anymore.
1: and and that's where I've really struggled with this whole concept because I I don't see it, and especially in my uh, my business world that I see, it's not an option. You, if if you don't like something the senior management's doing, you don't go put them on blast on social media and expect to have your job the next day. Yeah, like it's,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I agree, but again, we're we're dealing with a situation at a time where things are. Absolutely crazy as we gently, hesitantly nudge open the door to July. Um, what does the future hold? I suppose as more and as we change tact here again, more and more schools are being hit with Corona. Uh, COVID nineteen is taking its toll on students as they return to their institutions of higher education, and Clemson is the obvious one. But I think they've had thirty seven students. Uh, test sorry, 37 football players test positive now. Uh, And you know, they're not alone. There's gonna be students testing positive all over the place. But I, for the first time, am nervous about a college football season going ahead because of the safety implications around it. And where we're getting to, we're getting to a point now where even here in australia which has you know avoided a lot of the carnage that's hitting america hit brazil hit you know india we haven't had those issues here and even now still we're closing up schools again so to think that these players it it was kind of this assumption that we'd get over it and that play would start and it might be one or two cases, but it certainly wouldn't be enough to, to knock off a season. But what happens, what, like what's the threshold here when 15 players get it or 18 players or 20 players get it and then they've got to go into isolation. All of a sudden you're running with 60 kids and half of them are walk-ons or guys that are just kicking around on the practice field that never really get into games. All of a sudden, you know, um, wide receiver number 18 at, at uh, you know, wherever Mississippi State is lining up in Tiger Stadium, empty Tiger Stadium to play LSU. Like, is that a realistic thing that we're going to send people out? And, and if not, what then happens? Do we pull the pin on the season? Is it just pull the pin on that game or that team? Like, I guess these repercussions I'd never thought about. And for the first time, I am apprehensive about a season going forward, certainly not on time. I don't think one will happen on time. Maybe they cut non-conference games, but I'm really, really nervous about a college football season happening at all.
1: Yeah, it's it's not looking good. I mean, it, it was one of those ones where I think a lot of what I'd read at least showed that bell graph curve that you were going to see in terms of cases coming out, spreading through the community and then starting to, to die off after that. Looking at the stats for America at the moment, I mean, back in early April, they hit 30-odd thousand cases a day. And then since then, it's steady, started to decline and now has sparked back up again to the point where there are around 45,000 cases a day at the moment. And yeah. it's, it's at record highs for them still. And, yeah. and it hasn't been like a, a sharp jump up or whatever. It's, it's kind of been these undulating ups and downs between 25,000 to 40,000. And now it's continuing to grow here. So it, it doesn't show you any sign of slowing down. And if it's not able to do that, then we're certainly not going to get football. Yeah. It, it just won't happen. There's too many kids. There's too many moving pieces. Like They're talking about struggling to be able to get an NBA season where you've got, what, 16 in a squad that all the teams can be kept in one locale together, housed together, played together. They're struggling for that. You're talking 120 students uh, across a football program plus another you know, 50-odd staff then you're on a school campus with uh, other students that may or may not be there. It's just a breeding ground for it. So to, to be able to logistically make that work, move it around, ensure everyone's safety just seems so far away at the moment. So I'm with you. I'm worried. I don't like it.
0: And, and even if it does go ahead, what's it going to look like? I mean, you know, you're going to have empty stadiums. I think that's almost a given at this stage. Um, you know, to, to think that you're going to get 100,000 people playing in a stadium, uh, you know, spectators while you're playing in a stadium is completely unrealistic. What does that do for home field advantage? What does that do for the atmosphere of college football? Because the whole idea is going out there and, and supporting and representing your school, but also supporting your classmates and supporting your you know, alumni base and, and all that sort of stuff that is a big part of what college football is. It doesn't have that professional element. You you know, for a lot of these kids, they're playing where their grandparents or cousins or parents played as well. And it's about representing that. And what impact does that have? And, and again, for me, it's where does that threshold line sit? Because there has to be a point where teams say, no, this isn't safe anymore. No, uh, you know, we can't trot out 14 jabronis and say, yeah, well, you know, you're going to play both way today, kids. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. So, uh, it'll be a, an interesting development. It does continue to change daily. But like I said, for the first time, I'm a little bit nervous. So, on that, let's move on. So, our thing, topic, concept that we're covering today. I'm going to take us back to, oh, I don't even know the date. It would be like the late 90s. There was a movie.
1: I don't know the date, the late 90s.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know the date. No. A movie, uh, quite a famous movie, uh, called Outbreak. It was all about a uh, monkey eating something yeah, and transmitting that. a disease around the country. So it's quite topical at the moment, but we're not looking at Outbreak. We're looking at Breakout. So, which of the teams, providing a season goes ahead and they avoid corona, they avoid the outbreak, which ones are going to break out and become a program, a team, a player that everybody's going to know about if you're any kind of follower of college football?
1: So, ignoring everything that we've just said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> best exactly. case scenario, we're charging ahead. We're, we're hoping for football. And, yeah. and on the back of that, we want to highlight some names, players, coaches, teams that we think have a real opportunity this year uh, to become household names, to to really jump out there, be it put themselves in a position to get drafted high, win games, get new big contracts as a coach, whatever that is, Uh, we've done a bit of research, which is nice. Let's not get too carried away with that, but yep. <laughs> and uh, I think, are you going to kick us off with this?
0: Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's go with some of the, and and it's hard to it's hard to separate this idea that teams are going to make a, a breakout and that coaches are uh, not going to be heavily involved with that and vice versa. Like if a coach is making a leap, teams have to perform well for that to be the case. Uh, So those two things are invariably linked, but there's kind of a couple of interesting situations and, and we'll focus, it's going to be coach focused initially, but generally speaking, when it comes to the heavy hitters of college football, if you are seeing a team that you believe is going to make a serious jump into conference championship play or national championship contention, you should see a big spike in improvement from year one to year two. All right, you want them to see all of a sudden there should get be a shift in that teams start winning the games that they should. They very rarely get blown out, if at all, maybe against one of the established heavy hitters, but they then go on to scare or be a higher ranked team as well. All right, so that's kind of, there's kind of a progression for college football. Often first year can be pretty bumpy. Then you start to see them win the games that they should. And then it moves into this idea of consistency. But for second year coaches, you want to see them win the games that they out-talent people. They shouldn't really get out-coached. And then, of course, push those top teams as well. So for example, you had Nick Saban at Alabama. First year went seven and six, second year, 12 and two. Pete Carroll, USC, 6-6 in his first year, second year, 11-2. Urban Meyer at Florida, 9-3, then went to 13-1 the following year. Mario Cristobal, don't know if you put him in the same category as those other three, but at Oregon was 9-4, and and then his second season went 12-2. Now, is this comprehensive? Do you have to win a national championship in this method? Absolutely not, but it is a really, really good launch point if your coach does make that particular jump. So... The next question is, who are the second-year coaches that are going to make this jump? And it's heavily centered around the ACC. You've got Manny Diaz, Mac Brown, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech, trying to make that transition from the flex bone triple into a more kind of spread, modern offense. You've got Scott Statterfield at Louisville as well. So all these guys are in line for a jump in have quite an open ACC, particularly on the coastal side. Um, but apart from that, there's not a whole heap of massive hires. So for me, I think the obvious one has to be Mac Brown. I think that's where we go first. UNC, North Carolina are kind of favorites probably to win the Coastal at this stage. Uh, the offense will be led by Sam Howell again. Their last couple of recruiting cycles have been really, really strong and they just landed today or yesterday number six cornerback or the number six player in the nation. I believe. Uh, five-star corner. Number one um, corner, yep. Yep. Yeah. So the schedule is tough. They get US, US, sorry, not US, UCF to start the year who should be better than last year and then they follow that up with Auburn but the coaster was pretty wide open for them to be considered difficult. Miami have to step up. Virginia Tech need to have a better season um, and we should see some improvement from, you know, maybe the likes of Georgia Tech but you think Virginia take a step back after losing Bryce Perkins but, you know, Mac Brown is the one that, on the back of that really, really good uh, recruiting classes that they should be a, uh, making a move for the Tar Heels into that ACC championship game.
1: I, I like that you've plucked a 68-year-old with 250 win- career wins ready to break out, including a national championship win that he's had before.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's where they're at. Yeah, but new team. New team. It's a a
1: breakout year. I see where you're coming from. And and I agree with you. I think things are lining up really well. Uh, They showed a hell of a lot of promise. They they had a massive showdown with Clemson last year that they probably should have won in the end. Uh, Yeah. And, and, and missed out on but that would have been huge for them and outside of that they, they had a really successful year last year Sam Howe, quarterback was awesome he was a good get in-state kid that they were able to retain Mac Brown's shown he's been able to do it on the recruiting trail for them uh, as, as you as you mentioned they've, they've just got the number one cornerback in and things are looking really, really good in Chapel Hill so I really like that call I think it, it kind of bucks the trend of that I need to find a 30-odd-year-old coach who's got this different mindset, who's you know, running the spread or the air raid and I'm going to change the game this way. They, they've looked at it and gone, no, I'm, I'm, we're, we're taking experience. We're taking a guy who, who coached here previously, who was at North Carolina from 1986 to 1997, um, and then obviously went from there to Texas. That was quite successful at Texas. And then at 66, they've pulled him back in and, and he's showing that he can do it. So it's good to see. I like it. I think it's a good call and, and North Carolina are going to be a fun team. I think it, it just might be a year early for them. I think. Yeah,
0: I, yeah, I, I actually just jumping in there, think that you're 100% correct. I, I mean, I've been quite vocal that I don't think Sam Howe is that great yet. Uh, last year, you know, he through a lot of contested footballs that his you know, wide receivers managed to come down with, but he wasn't reading defenses particularly well. He does throw the deep ball well, and it was just kind of rock back there, load up and pull the trigger. If he can start maturing in that, fit in some more uh, reads and go through progressions and develop into some guy who just doesn't throw the slot fade and the slant, then he's going to be a real, real weapon. And, and the wraps on him are big. I'm yet to see it. Because um, we do did, we did need to be a little bit realistic here. UNC didn't bl- blow the doors off last year. They weren't well-beaters. So um, they've still got a long way to go. And that, that tough start to the year... I mean, Auburn should take a step back. But UCF, that's a nasty way to start the season. So not only that, they have... I think they get Miami... They play eight on the bounce and then they get Miami week eight uh, after Miami's coming off a bye. So, you know, it's not an easy schedule necessarily. But, uh, yeah, I think UNC should be a a good watch this year and uh, we'll see how long it lasts there for Mac Brown.
1: Okay. Uh, I will jump into mine then. And for me, one who's really going to break out and, and make a big name for himself is Tom Herman at Texas. So quite, quite well known around the coaching traps, uh, was an assistant at Ohio State back in 2012 to 2014. Where they won the
0: national championship. They won the game national
1: game. championship. He won the assistant coach of the year award. He then flipped that into a head coaching job at Houston where they went on to win the uh, American um, there with a 13-1 and one record and, and one well, one of the better group of five teams, if not the best group of five team going around. Followed that up with another solid 9-3 and three year uh, without as much talent on the field and then was headhunted by Texas to, to take on that role there. So that was quite a high-profile move. And since arriving there, I think it's probably been... Harshly dealt with as as anyone is as the head coach of Texas that's not winning a national championship and not winning the Big Twelve, but uh, started out slow seven and six his first year uh, was quite quite reasonable in the second year won the Sugar Bowl uh, against Georgia in in that big one ended up ten and four on the year and then last year was quite disappointing I, w- I would say at eight and five um, with a big win in the Alamo Bowl so this is a guy that's. has has had success and I think is just primed for a breakout. Like I I think he's in that spot where he's got an established quarterback, uh, Sam Ellinger, who is built for the college game. I think this year, more than any other year, it's important to have a guy who knows your offense, who is able to put the team on his back and and play college football. and, and, And I'm massive on that. They have a hell of a lot of talent. Like they've been pulling in top five recruiting classes the last few years. So the talent, which has never been an issue there, but it, it, it's there. And I think that he is primed to make the jump and take the Big 12, which has been Oklahoma's for way too long now. Uh, and and they are going to be a th- threat on the national level this year.
0: Yeah, interesting one. I They're going to have to get a lot out of Sam Ellinger. You know, they lost Duvernay last year, who you were really big on. They lose Colin Johnson, who I was enamored with his athleticism, but it kind of didn't really translate into performance. But what it like, Who who's he throwing the ball to? I know they got a grad transfer in Tariq Black, but outside of that, they sort of the weapons aren't necessarily their offensive line. They should be pretty good up front, I think, and their defense should be better.
1: They're going to rely.
0: Yeah, they're going to rely on Sam Ellinger and Keontae Ingram, though, in the backfield to do most of the heavy lifting for them. And I i mean, I don't know, they're going to have to play a little bit more ball control, I think, in order to, you know, get, you know, stay in contention with these higher paced, heavy hitting teams and... They tried that last year I know, I know they kept it close with LSU and they only lost by a touchdown, which in hindsight looks really, really good, beat Oklahoma State, beat West Virginia and it's all sort of rolling and then they lose to Oklahoma by a touchdown, which sucks. And then from there it really started to slide. So Kansas got over them by two points, but TCU lost by 10 points, just got over Kansas State who had their moments, but that wasn't really it. Iowa State and Baylor losses as well. So. I don't really know how to read this 2019 iteration of the Texas Longhorns. And oh, it's going to be tough sledding. I don't actually see it. I i don't think they've got the skill position players to, you know, really fire away and, and score enough points. Uh, I I, I, lo- I love Tom Herman. I think I've got a bit of a soft spot for him because we saw him interviewed when he was at Houston. And he just seems like a genuinely nice guy. I also like his tweet around the whole uh wide receiver coach who i now can't think of at ohio state um when they were going through the sex scandal or the yeah
1: whatever they had going there yeah i remember that yeah, yeah.
0: that was quite humorous Hook him. um okay cool <laughs> Hook him. Hook him. <laughs> cool <laughs> <laughs> which was enjoyable but for me you know does tom herman have a ceiling and this i guess this is my question to you every coach probably has one and there's a lot of people talking about Dan Mullen at the moment, and is can he actually get them over the edge? Uh, can he push them over the top to beat Georgia, or are they just going to perennially be a, a team that's in the conversation but can never really make it? And is Tom Herman that guy for Texas as well?
1: No, I don't think so. I think it's it's harsh to judge someone or to put that on someone with only three years in. Like it, it's tough to really get your fingerprints on a program in only three years. We talk about the cycle and, and being able to get a full recruiting cycle in and have your kids, the, the types of people that you want in your program, around, and 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 that's a four-year journey until you start to see that come through. So I think it, it's it's hard to and harsh to judge on that at this stage. I mean it. People might have been saying that about uh, Ed Orgeron at LSU previously before last year happened. And, and, and all it needs is for you to catch lightning in a bottle for the right group, for the right uh, things to all fall in place. And the key to that is at the quarterback position and, and you get over that. And not only and, and if they're getting over that, if they're getting over Oklahoma, then they're in the national championship picture. And, and we've shown that that hasn't stood up so well for a OU uh, at, at the semi-final level uh, for the games that they've been playing in there. But if you're talking that, then you're certainly, you're certainly in with a shot. And, and you've got to be happy with that. I mean, it's tough at Texas because that's the expectation. Expectation is not just a Big 12 championship. It is to be winning the national championships. Uh, one of the biggest programs in all of college football. I think you can do it. I think he's pulled in his classes now. I, I love where Sam Ellinger's at, and yeah, I'm, I'm real bullish on them.
0: I mean, just very quickly, if, the, if there was a year to do it, it's this one. I mean, they're you, at LSU early in the season. Again, let's pretend this season's actually happening. They're at LSU, but they're breaking in. I say breaking in Miles Brennan as a new quarterback. They've got a new offensive coordinator. I think they'll take a massive step back with no crowd there. That won't be as much of a, a, a tough road trip. But then they're at Kansas State. Can be a bit funky. They get Oklahoma at home. Uh, they get West Virginia at home. I say Oklahoma at home. It's really a neutral-sider, but... Uh, They get Baylor at home and their away games are Kansas, Texas Tech, Kansas State, and then they finish in Stillwater, Oklahoma against uh, your Cowpokes. But... You know Iowa State. If you're looking for a team that's probably a little bit more solid with a solid coaching staff and and well-established quarterbacks, they're getting those guys, those teams at home. So, yeah, I I I don't hate it. I'm rooting for Tom Herman. I just don't know if he is the guy. All right, let's move on. Mike Loxley is another guy from that's a second-year coach. They've just they flipped the number one player in the country last year, kept him at home. He's from the Maryland area. Uh, but he got off to a good start there, Mike Loxley last year, but has fallen in a bit of a heap. They did get a transfer from Tua Tungavailoa's uh, younger brother, Taulia. Tolia? I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his T- first T- name. Tulia. Uh, so he's transferred from Alabama. He's probably not the same player that his brother is. Uh, the other one is Matt Wells, who came with massive raps um, You know, he is one of those young, bright minds, and, and he's taking over Texas Tech next year. Just a quick word on him uh, and your thoughts on the Red Raiders next year.
1: Well, I'll first start with Loxley. So did you know he was head coach in New Mexico? I did, yes. In
0: uh, 2009,
1: 2010, and 2011? Yes. Do you know how that went out? Not
0: for well, because no, <laughs> no one does any well. Does any well? That's correct English. No one does any good at New Mexico. <laughs> one and
1: eleven, one and eleven, zero and four. Before I can only hope he was let go. So <laughs> that's yep. uh, that's not great. And then he was the interim head coach at Maryland in 2015. Yeah, uh, went one and five. Not, yep. not great. So. Uh, and then, he's from
0: the D.C. area, dude. He it, knows the area. He's
1: he's followed that up last year with a 3-9 and nine season. So uh, looking at that record, things things don't look too crash hot. Um, I, I think from a recruiting front, things are looking positive, and, and, and that's awesome. And I'd love to see Maryland kind of emerge and become a real player. I'm just really worried when I see that sort of track record that the wins just aren't there. Um, yeah. On the, the Matt Wells at Texas Tech, certainly an interesting one. I, I was kind of talking to you off air about this. I think the Big 12 is full of really interesting, solid coaches. Like, top to bottom, across across the whole conference, they're really good. Which makes it really hard to get wins. It, it makes it really hard to kind of... So like, Lincoln Riley's there, he's got everything happening in that he's got the players playing for him. They're buying into his system. He's, he's got that thing humming and he's out at top underneath that. There's so many, uh, options available and and it's so hard to win every week in what is a really even competition. So Matt Wells at Texas Tech is going to struggle purely from an athlete standpoint, I think to to stand up against your Oklahoma, your Texas's like most of the other teams in the conference will, but then not only that, but to be going against different head coaches with different styles who are all equally as, you know, innovative or, Uh, established, or... It's something different every week. You know what I mean? So you've got Texas, uh, Christian, TCU, Gary Patterson, Oklahoma State, uh, Mike Gundy, who've been around forever. and, And they are masters at what they do, like... Uh, Gary Patterson's 425 defense you've got to be able to counter that then you've got next week you come up against Oklahoma State and the air raid there and, and that offense that he, he he has humming now you've got to find a way to be able to cater to that you roll on from that and you think oh now I've got the easy game against Texas but it's Les Miles and he's been working his magic there they were good Les last Miles year. is at Texas that's impressive uh, Kansas yeah. sorry a- out at Kansas and, and, and they've previously been horrible. Last year, they were quite competitive. So there, there's just no easy games in and amongst it. Um, Matt Campbell's, you know, a, a really highly regarded coach that I think is is going to move on and, and probably look towards the NFL level uh, in his near future. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a tough gig for Matt Wells. I think he's a good coach, but there are a lot of good coaches in the Big 12.
0: Yeah, and I would, I'm just going to play it down a little bit there on the in terms of playing something different every week. I would say that a lot of the other conferences have got more variation in their game style than what the Big Twelve does. Uh, you guys are air raid, spread, and it doesn't vary too much from that. It's not like you guys get an army triple option. Although I think no Oklahoma does do either. have, I think Oklahoma do have those last time uh, this year again, and after the kind of that scare a couple of years ago um you know that's something that they probably didn't deal too well with so you don't see too much pro style stuff i mean iowa state can you know turn that on a little bit at times but it's not like you've got a, a stanford who's just that run heavy you know defense first anyway we won't go into that so matt Wells not a breakout candidate for you all right let's go on to coaches that are moving not from their first into second year but second into third and this the jump that we just mentioned that first into second year certainly not a death sentence for coaches there's there's often more a significant jump from year two to year three and and this is where like i mentioned earlier this consistency comes from it's not just about beating those teams scaring some it's the teams you should beat you beat handily the teams that you shouldn't maybe beat on paper you are pushing winning and you're you know really tough to beat at home etc etc the players are more settled uh, and they're living out kind of the expectations of that particular coach and their staff and you you don't get out coach so examples of that you might see uh, pj fleck at minnesota five and seven seven and six and then last year jumped up to eleven and two ed orgeron at lsu um six and four nine and three in his second year but he did lose to troy and got destroyed by mississippi state and alabama beat them pretty handily and then they jumped to after that ten and three and a fiesta bowl winner just looked more comfortable chris peterson your love child at washington eight and six seven and six and then he skipped up to 12 and two as well so this is the group that I think is the most interesting. I remember this coaching carousel uh, what is three years ago now with Dan Mullen, Chip Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, Herm Edwards, Kevin Sumlin, Scott Frost at Nebraska. You got Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. Um, you know, who's it going to be? Who are the jump out coaches? I've got a few questions for you, and you can answer these whichever one you would like. So, okay. question number me. one: me. Can Dan Mullen beat Georgia? Question <sighs> number two: Are you going to go with that?
1: Well, am I answering all of them, or am I picking? Well, you can you I'll can answer. pick
0: one, You can pick a couple here. So, okay. we'll, I'll, I'll give you all the questions first. Okay. Can Dan Mullen beat Georgia? Will Chip Kelly actually get UCLA out of the doldrums? Can Jimbo Fisher make the most of a quarterback void in the SEC West? Will Tennessee play the role of spoiler or can they do more than that this year? Is Frost the man at Nebraska and do you still believe in Kevin Sumlin at Arizona?
1: Man, I am I I'm just like I'm hearing this and I'm feeling optimistic about the whole season because because I'm a yes man for a lot of this stuff. So <laughs> so let's dial it back to one. Can Florida beat Georgia? Yes. I think they're one of a handful of teams in the country who can. I don't expect them to, but they're certainly in that ballpark. I have Georgia, Florida, right up the top in the East, and like by a wide margin. I also have them in the top ten in the country, both of those teams there. So I'm not going to say you know they can't do that because funny things happen on the field. They're in the same ballpark. It's going to be a game we're going to get to see it play out. It can certainly happen. Uh, it, I'm not predicting it. You know, neutral field, whatever happens. I would back Georgia, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me to see them not only win, but for Dan Mullen to be the next one to have a 12-win season and to be in the playoffs.
0: So will Dan Mullen break out this year then?
1: I, If if I had to pick of any of the names that you listed, he would certainly be right up the top. Oh,
0: jeez, you are dodging this question well, hard. Will he get it done or
1: not? I like him as a breakout candidate, yes.
0: Oh, that is you. (laughs) Fucking politician over there. What's going on? Well, Uh, I just want to keep
1: going. I I don't want to box myself in for the next answers that we've got coming up. Okay. Will Chip Kelly make any moves? Well, I need you to to help me by defining moves here because I think we're going to see improvement at UCLA, but I still don't see them hitting like 10 wins. I I have them around the eight win mark. I think it's going to be better than where they're at. We're going to see. Eight wins? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely.
0: Um, Why? I mean, I guess we had uh, Chip Kelly coming out and he he brought that whole Oregon thing with him. He made changes to Philadelphia and got them into a position in the NFL where they were one of the most unbeatable offenses in the league when he was there. And then he came to UCLA and we just thought, oh, he'll roll back into the college game and just start dominating. And that hasn't happened.
1: Well, I, 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 I... I just want to hold you there. I don't think we all thought that. So I think from the get-go, I know at least myself had massive reservations about him going in there and just jump-starting that program and getting them to where Oregon previously was. I'm not shocked to see the results that we've had, but I am expecting to see improvement. He is a good football coach. It does take time for him to get his style of play up and running. Uh, so that's kind of what leads me to believe that with an experienced quarterback this year, we're going to see an improvement on the field, some more buy-in, some more understanding of how he wants to run the football Will uh, run his brand of football. I think that the one thing that I, we, we talked on uh, quite a bit when he first came back was has college football caught up to what he was doing? Because it was quite innovative at the time. He was, you know, high snap count. Uh, reading half the field, making the the reads as easy as possible for the quarterback. Then everyone started doing it. Then that became the norm. So by the time he'd come back from the NFL, it wasn't this, oh, he, he's catching defences off guard and they're all gassed and, you know, they're trying to get their defensive substitutions in, but they can't because they're running so fast. Everyone was doing that. That became the norm. He lost that advantage and then he's kind of struggled. I still back him in to be able to move with the times, kind of get his thing going, but that is the concern.
0: Okay, so is he a breakout candidate or not?
1: What are you defining breakout for UCLA this year?
0: Um, okay, well, last year they were a bit of a mess. What did they go in the end? Four and eight mm-hmm. with not too many reputable wins. They, they had that crazy shootout against Washington State. Washington State up there in Pullman. Uh, They got a win against Stanford, which was a strange one. A win against Arizona State. And I thought maybe they've turned the corner. You know, they got three on the bounce there. Stanford, Arizona State, Colorado. This is a Stanford team that didn't make uh, a bowl game. Colorado started off okay, but then fell in a hole. Um. So, you know, they got creamed by Utah, they got upended by USC, and then even California uh, at the end of this season got a hold of them and they weren't traveling real well. So then you look at, well, what are they lining up against this year? Stanford should be better. Arizona, I do not think much of, and we'll get to Kevin Sumlin in a second. Arizona State should be better with Jaden Daniels at quarterback uh Colorado in Boulder should be better under uh with you know their coaches in his second year in control their Utah always tough Oregon State I think is a real smoky uh under um Jonathan Smith he's done a really really good job there at Oregon State they had a good season last year and they're all of a sudden a tough out Washington State in flux that'll be an easier game I would say then they've got USC and at Cow to finish the season so
1: Can I go early on my bowl prediction here? Yeah. They're going to win eight of their first nine games.
0: (laughs) What? Bang.
1: Bang. That's that's where I'm sitting.
0: New Mexico State. Let's take us through this. New Mexico State at Hawaii, tough. At San Diego State, should be okay this year. Versus Stanford, Arizona. Yeah, I could see that. At Arizona State. At Colorado before getting Utah, no way. Uh, I mean, they they drop more than just the Utah game. I think. I think that Utah have uh, lost
1: a lot of talent. They peaked last year. They they due a dip. They. they I, did, I like a lot they're... of these matchups. I I have them favourite in most of these matchups.
0: Wow. Okay. Interesting. Ah, uh, so breakout. So that to me, that is a breakout candidate, absolutely for Chip Kelly. Excellent. This year. I'm
1: just concerned it's all going to fall in a heap, and that they will lose to Washington State, they will lose to USC, and they will lose to Cal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay chips chips all right can jimbo make the most of a quarterback so we're saying sorry just before i go on so dan mullen is you're saying yes breakout he's gonna yep. be georgia is what i take out of that chip kelly definitely can jimbo make the most of a void in the sec west now texas a&m have continued to recruit really well under Jimbo Fisher, which is great. They get Kellen Mon back at the quarterback position. Uh, they should be okay defensively. Can they nudge in the SEC West?
1: Absolutely. This one, no. I will give you a clear yes. Jimbo will break out with with this Texas A&M team. I feel really good about this one. I have, like, I'm not betting against Alabama because that's a that's a fool's game to play. That I still have them favourite in the West, but right behind them, Texas A&M. I have them challenging for the West crown. Those two teams,
0: better than LSU. Correct. Okay.
1: And Auburn. Uh,
0: If and Auburn. Yeah, I think Auburn take a step back, but if I remember correctly. Their schedule is rough.
1: No, that was last year. This year, they've they've gone soft. They've got it nice and easy. They start with the powerhouse that is an acronym that is ACU. So good luck with that one,
0: Albion, uh, Albion Christian. Yep,
1: awesome. Uh, North A, Texas, no
0: Ab- Abilene Christian. Sorry, there we go. yep, North Texas, the mean green, Colorado. Yeah, I guess I guess that doesn't matter too much. Like, let's look at conference play. So they're going to get Arkansas, They'll beat them which up. Yeah, I mean that's whatever. Uh, you know, Arkansas new coach, new system, whatever. Mississippi that's not
1: State, me. not what they used to be. Yeah,
0: but they're going to be air raidy. They're going to be air raidy. Doesn't face Texas No defense. A&M. Fresno State. Yeah. Okay. Um, they've got on the road at Auburn.
1: That's a tough out. There's, tough there's
0: out. no doubt in
1: that. But I'll back. They up. get
0: South Carolina, which is. Then not bad this year. I think they will be pretty good. Old Miss, uh, no, obviously new head coach in Lane Kiffin. Yeah, not, not something they need to worry about. Not something need to worry about. Even with John Reese Plumley, who you're very big on, and I'm about to talk about a running back that I'm pretty big on. Vandy will take a step back. Alabama on the road, LSU at home. Who should be have the, all their cogs in motion at that stage? It is not the murderer's row that it was last year. I'll agree with that, but it's still not an easy schedule.
1: No, it's the SEC uh, West. It's never going to be, but the combination, again, of an experienced quarterback, Kellen Mond, like him or love him, he has an opportunity to <laughs> hate him or love him, probably. Is. No, but, uh, I think
0: like, like him or love him is actually really good. I think you've nailed him there because... You know, he plays up ish to big competition like we saw that game two years ago against Clemson and he kept them in the game really, really close, and he can do it with his legs, he can do it with his arm and 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 pick up those, you know, really tough yards, or when you need him to make a play, he's been able to do that. But do you love him enough to actually lead an offense and go beyond just hanging around or go beyond, you know, scrambling around enough to beat the Mississippi States of the world. Like, can he go and beat Alabama? Yeah. Can and, he go uh, and beat LSU? Uh,
1: like, I, I have him primed for a breakout as, as a player this year. Well, I won't touch on him, but he, he's certainly in a position to, to make a big leap and to propel these guys forward. I mean, there, there's every chance that we get a blockbuster matchup when they meet Alabama on the, the 21st of November. Uh, both teams undefeated.
0: Hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't see it from Kellen Mond. I don't think he's got the weapons on the outside. He loses a really good running back from last year, and I, I just, to me, he's he's maxed out. Like we, there's nothing that he's going to produce in his final year of eligibility that he hasn't already shown us. And on that, on top of that, he's got a shortened preseason and preparation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's I'm not gonna see anything from him that's gonna go wow. Like he's not on any first round draft pick stuff, and that goes beyond his stature and his style of play. Like he's not, or he's not on any preseason Heisman list. Like he's not going to dominate games like you saw. If and I know they're not the same player, like, but like you you saw from Tua a year out and after just simply a freshman season not even a freshman season after simply playing jumping in on one half of football people like this guy is a freak and kellen mond has had his opportunities and he hasn't shown it yet so i'm out on kellen mond
1: All right, i'm going to earmark this audio because i have a good feeling that i'm going to be able to play it back to you come season's end and uh, sit there smugly across from you
0: Okay, well I'll play the Chip Kelly audio back to you and we'll see how that goes. All right. So you're saying that Jimbo Fisher will break out as well. So you're three for three I'm so far. You, okay.
1: I'm, I'm super positive.
0: Yeah, clearly. Will Tennessee play the role of spoiler under Jeremy Pruitt or can they do more than that this year? Jarrett Quarantano, Guarantano at court, the quarterback position. Jeremy Pruitt's recruited reasonably well and certainly having a monster year this year on the recruiting trail, but are they good enough to make an impact in the East and and kind of, you know, have something to say about all of what's going on?
1: So at Tennessee football. So spoiler, yes, uh, but that's it. There's nothing more there. As I kind of mentioned earlier with the Dan Mullen chat, uh, I believe that Florida and Georgia will own the East. No one else will will be close to them. You know, I'm talking not within two touchdowns. Uh, and Tennessee uh, are kind of back in the pack for me. So I like the direction they're heading in. I like what Jeremy Pruitt's been able to do. I think they're just at a spot now, though, that they're going to be taking pot shots at teams that are better than them at the moment. They're not going to be at the same level.
0: Okay. Um, So you're looking for more of a consolidation year, I guess. Is that what we can say? We're looking for some consistency. They're not going to be overly... um... Dominating or, or, or putting those that tape out there that shows that they can actually make a push and they're just going to kind of hang around. Um, yeah, I, I think they, that's. They've, they've
1: also got Oklahoma as um, an out of conference game early on, which is a, yeah. a, a tough out. I don't think that they will fare too well in that one. Um, I mean, it, it could be the game that's that sets them up, you know, springs them forward. Fills them with confidence, and then they can attack their uh, their conference schedule from there. I just don't see it. I think they get a nice little tune-up with Charlotte. They'll they'll get beaten handily by Oklahoma, and then from there they're just they'll get knocked over by Florida. They'll get knocked over by Alabama. Um, they'll get knocked over by Georgia, and then one of the other SEC teams will take them too. So,
0: yeah, I I just. I don't see anyone on their in their skill positions that scares me. Like I think Josh Palmer's okay, but there's no one really that you look at and you're like, yeah, that, that that's someone that you've got a game plan around. That's someone that you've got to really be worried about. Uh, I think they'll be pretty good up front. They've recruited well, relatively well on the offensive line and they they get a, a transfer in Cade Mays. But yeah, they they still seem a little way away for me. Um, I know a lot of people are talking about Jeremy Pruitt and Tennessee is kind of making a move, but yeah, I don't think that they're going to do too much this year. Okay, this one is a really interesting one because I know you love Scott Frost, but if you look at his record at Nebraska over his first couple of years, things aren't trending in a super positive direction for him. So is he the man for the Cornhuskers?
1: Absolutely is. I'm going to die on this hill. I'm going to keep back. You are Scott clearly. Uh, I, I think that people have, have been really quick to jump on him as well. So do you have uh, his, his record, how he's gone in his first couple of seasons?
0: I do not. I can have a look. I mean, they went five and seven last year. I do know that, Um, which obviously wasn't pretty. And I was expecting a lot. I mean, this was a team that was, um, you know, picked to make a massive move in the Big Ten, certainly uh, go and win the West and potentially even make the football playoff as well. But that did not eventuate in any way, shape or form. And not only that, they were destroyed by teams. Um losing I mean, what did they lose? They lost after Illinois, uh, they then went and lost, you know, five out of the next seven or something like that. They beat Northwestern, lost to Minnesota, who were having a good season, but so what they lost to Indiana who were underrated last year, but you probably shouldn't lose that one at home. They lost to Purdue they got trounced by Wisconsin. They got at, oh, they beat Maryland and then lost to Iowa to finish the season. So it wasn't trending particularly positively. I am at hardcore out on Scott Frost. I think with all the resources he's had at his disposal, I think Adrian Martinez, I was set for a massive, massive season for him last year, and that never eventuated as well. Um, it, it just to me, if there is a situation, we talk about third-year jumps, second-year jumps, I haven't seen it. I think UCF, when he was there and they went and won the faux national championship, Mm. everything fell into place for him that year. And it has not happened at Nebraska. It's not that easy to go and win at a big school. And maybe, just maybe, and this is okay as well, that he can win at a small, I say smaller school. They're you know, student population is massive, but a not big heavy hitting school and some coaches are just built that way. I don't think that Scott Frost is the answer at Nebraska and I think his seat, I know they're giving him as much space and time and resources and money as whatever he wants. I think that his seat starts to get not hot, but all of a sudden there's a bit of a fire lit underneath To for the first time he can feel a few warm embers starting to tickle his hiney.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly unfair to judge him as if he was Ryan Day walking into a big-time program that is at the height of their powers. Like, he's walked into a big-time program that have been bad, that have been irrelevant, and it was always going to be a big process of turning around. And it's not even like Texas that Tom Herman has where they were still pulling in top 10 recruiting classes year after year. Like, they've been irrelevant in the recruiting rankings. So he's ha- he's had to restart this thing from the ground up. And I think we're starting to see that. I think we've seen two top 20 recruiting classes now, two top re- recruiting classes of the kids that he wants to add to his program. And, and that's when I'm going to start to judge his ability to coach and whether he can turn this thing around. Um, I'm I'm with you on Adrian Martinez. Like he was super disappointing last year. I think he got banged up as well. That kind of derailed him. Yeah. I, I think he's a massive chance. I'll be throwing a few bucks on him for the Heisman early on, just because oh. he's the he's the sort of player that can really light things up. I mean, things would need to go right for Nebraska, and they do have Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Minnesota. I mean, they're all going to be tricky games down the stretch, but i think this is a team that we could almost see a pj fleck type of uh year where they're kind of they're back in the difficult games up early they could catch some heat if Martinez starts going off like we saw that freshman year they're in a chance to start to believe their own hype. bit of Port Adelaide power that we have going on at the moment. A team that's played, what, the Crows, who are the worst team in the comp, Fremantle, who are the second worst team in the comp, and West Coast, who are re- ready to walk out on the comp. And now, <laughs> all of a sudden, the power think they're world beaters, but they believe in themselves. And they're going to be a tough out now. I, I don't think they're the best team, but they're going to be a tough out because they think they're pretty good. And we could see that with Nebraska. So,
0: yeah, but, but cop this... Okay. So the end of October, they finish at the shoe. So they go to Ohio State. The following week, they get Penn State at home. Both of those games will be massive. They then em- empty stadiums. Empty stadiums, obviously. <laughs> well, by that stage, maybe they won't be. Yep. Maybe there'll be like twelve people in there. <laughs> um, they then follow that up with a game. At Iowa, and then they travel to Wisconsin. So they play four away, sorry, three away games in four weeks. Uh, Ohio State, Iowa, and Wisconsin, all on the road, with Penn State thrown in there as well. And then they finish against Minnesota. Um, geez, you are taking some serious shots, serious body blows in those four games, and then trying to front up and play Minnesota, who are well coached. They've got a good, experienced quarterback. Uh, I do not like that finish for the season, and I think if they if they go three and two over that stretch, that will have to be considered a success. But I see that they could go on five, and then where are you at with wins against you know Central Michigan, maybe South Dakota State, who are good. Go you, Jackrabbits! How good? Um, you know, I I just don't know where you're at there. I and and where does that leave Wisconsin? So what kind Nebraska. of season, like, hey? Nebraska? Sorry, sorry, Nebraska. If, you know, if they go seven and six, what does that mean? Is that an improvement? Is that good enough for Scott Frost?
1: Absolutely, it is. Really? As I, as I said, this is going to take some time to build around. So, the so recruiting what? is trending in the right direction. This was never going to be built in a day.
0: So and, if he goes and you three and nine, so sh- and then what? Three so to- and
1: yeah, nine, you start asking questions. Absolutely. Anything uh, over 500 and you back him in wholeheartedly to continue on to do this job.
0: Okay. All right. I, I'm not so big enough. All right. Your last, last one, your love child, Kevin Sumlin, your man crush. You were big on him at Texas A&M. He got fired. He's now moved over to Ar- uh, Arizona. And if there was kind of a competition between the two big Arizona schools – Herm Edwards, Kevin Sumlin. I think it's very clear that Herm Edwards has come out on top there. Kevin Sumlin has rolled in, and it appears like he has made every same mistake that he did at Texas A and M, and he's just kind of repeated the trend at Arizona. They went backwards with Khalil Tate and JJ Taylor in the backfield, who was supposed to be amazing, and now what? I I am so like he would be my most the, the coach that I believe in the least in all of college football.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm off him. I'm, I'm with you on this one. I am not going to fight you here. Uh, it's it's too hard a argument to put forward, really. I yeah. mean, as much as I like like going uh, and arguing with anything that you've got to say, this one here, I'm, I'm right behind you. I think Kevin Sumlin has been incredibly disappointing at Arizona. I was super optimistic with Khalil Tate under Senna with him stepping over out of A&M into the Pac-12 to see what he could do there. And it's just been abysmal. What we've seen has not been good. And there's nothing to tell me that that team is going to be in the top half of the Pac-12 this year. I'll take USC, I'll take UCLA, I'll take Cal, I'll take Utah, I'll take Oregon, all of those teams above Arizona. Like
0: who who aren't you taking? Who aren't you taking above Arizona?
1: Oregon State.
0: No, I'm taking Oregon State. Jonathan Smith, give me that Jonathan Smith offense. They were rattling cages last year. Give me Oregon State. Fair share. Washington
1: State? No, they've got Nick Rolovich. Out of uh, from Hawaii Hawaii. I'll, I'll back them in That's yeah. fun up in Pullman Colorado uh, I, I could see Colorado taking a big step back They lost Stevie um, Montez Yeah uh, I think Colorado they, would be better They also lost their head coach over to Michigan State So there's yeah, going to be that, disruption actually, that's true. It's going to be a down year in Colorado So there's a team Arizona will beat Colorado <laughs>
0: Yeah, wow. It is going to be a rough year for the Wildcats, I think. Yeah, Um, I'd be
1: shocked if Kevin not. is still the head coach this time next year.
0: Hey, we agree on something. (laughs) So you're taking Dan Mullen breakout, Chip Kelly breakout, Jimbo Fisher breakout, uh, Jeremy Pruitt not so much. Uh, Scott Frost, you don't think he's going to break out, but you're happy if he's mediocre. And Kevin Sumlin, you think he's gone. Interesting. Bingo. Some interesting stuff there from William. Okay, it's time to get into the plays. We're going to make this short, sharp and shiny because I feel like we've been speaking for at least a million years today. We have
1: been dragging on. I I was worried that that these few dot points we have down here weren't going to drag out, but... Yeah, I mean, it's been
0: talk. nice to talk. It's been nice to talk actual football, which mm. is it's been a good thing. So if you're after some actual football, then hey, thanks for sticking around. Uh, just on that, before we do continue any further, please make sure you do subscribe to the show. Please make sure you do hit us up on Twitter at or Instagram at CFB Down Under. We've got a big year coming up. We plan to release some more content. Get in touch with a few more of the Australian boys that uh, have been over there, and and we can. Have a chat to them and, and discuss what it is to be Australian-made and an Australian product over in the United States of America and, and give people a bit of an insight about what they can do potentially to make a move in that direction as well.
1: All right, rapid fire. Let's do this. Players. Rapid fire. Okay,
0: players that are going to break out. All right, I'll I'll let's, I'll let's jump in straight away. Jaron Ealy from oh, Ole Miss. Uh, John Reese Plumley, John Reese Plumley, can't say that fast. Lane Kiffin calling the shots. Uh sophomore, all purpose back. He kind of led them in yardage touchdowns last year. I'm expecting a massive year from him.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. He was one that I certainly had a look at. He's exciting. He's gonna be the a, a really important piece for Lane Kiffen, I think. It's a massive step up in the SEC West. Lane Kiven knows all about it. He spent his time at Alabama. Ealy is uh, an exciting prospect, and it'll be good to see what he can do. For me, another SEC running back, and this is like a a lazy answer, (laughs) it is a Georgia running back, redshirt sophomore, Zamir White. He is the next one in line for us to come out that is going to be a top three round running back at the NFL level. He already had uh, some decent playing time last year behind uh, the studs that they had there, DeAndre Swift, and I expect him to be a household name by the end of this year. He, he's going to put up some good numbers. There's it's always a bit of a committee, so there's, gonna, there's plenty of other talented backs there, but he's going to emerge as the top dog. Zamir White is a name to remember.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was the number one running back in his class, I believe, as well, coming out of high school, so you should remember that. Uh, I will go with Evan Neal. Uh, No one cares about offensive linemen, but if you froth on giant dudes with sweet feet, then Evan Neal's your guy. Alabama played inside as a true freshman, and... I think he made the freshman All-American team, uh, and I have actually spoken about him before on the show, but he is a ju- mammoth of a man, absolutely giant, uh, and I am predicting that he's going to be the best O-lineman Alabama has had in the last 10 years. I think he's kicking out to tackle this year, but he'll be better than Chance Warmack, Barrett-Jones, DJ Fluker, and Cam Robinson.
1: So you're talking like top three draft pick?
0: Uh, no, I'm talking a better NFL career, I think. Okay. is what I mean. I, I'm okay. not reflecting that as a draft pick I, because Cam Robinson went really high from memory. DJ Fluka was a first rounder. Barrett Jones went later. Chance Warmack. Who was that?
1: He uh, was eight overall, Warmack, I think, as a guard.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is unheard of. Which is unheard of, but I think Evan Neal, oh, he's going to be a good one.
1: Okay, one to watch for. Um, I'm going to flip over the defensive side. Uh, play Gale Teote, the fourth. So, Sweet. middle linebacker out of uh, USC. Uh, he is a junior this year. Uh, played out of Bishop Gorman High School. That's the Las Vegas powerhouse high school. Yeah. Uh, and he's just a monster. Uh, and I think he was banged up last year. I mean, he already had... Uh, a decent start to the year got her, and and that kind of knocked him about. But he will be the centerpiece of what I'm anticipating to be a very uh, skillful defense, a, a very talented defense, and a defense that's going to take a big step forward for the Trojans. He's going to be massive there. He just lays the wood. Yeah, Do yourself a love favor. That. Like, put on some highlight reels of him, like, on special teams, on defense. He's just flying around and hurting people. Great to watch. Love it. I'm excited to see what he can do this year.
0: Yeah, fair shout. I, he's a really good one, and he'll get some mentions throughout the year as well for racking up tackles and forcing fumbles. Speaking of defensive guys, I'm going for some real low-hanging fruit here, and I'm going Kayvon Thibodeau, who was the former number one recruit in the country, defensive end out of Oregon. Uh, came on late in the season and ended up finishing with nine sacks and a forced fumble, which is pretty good as a freshman. You don't see those kind of numbers put up too often. Uh, he's going to need another big season for the Ducks, but he is well put together and he will be a fantastic, fantastic player and look for him to be a first-round defensive end in a couple of years' time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's, we're talking like top three talent already from from yeah. what we've seen. Like, he's next level. He's that Jadavian Clowney, uh, Miles Garrett sort of operator, like, just... Yeah, he's.
0: A, I mean, he's a bit... Deep, like, he's not... I don't think he's as freakishly athletic as what Chase Young is. He He's big um, and he's got the size, but it'll be interesting to see how he develops if he actually puts on the weight and develops into a uh, kind of 3-4-ish type end. or it, I mean, he'll probably end up in as a 4-3, kind of more defensive end pass rusher type, but he's he's going to be big, uh, unlike a Miles Garrett who's a bit lighter, a bit whippier, Uh, and can, you know, I mean, he can slide inside as well. But I think Kayvon Thibodeau possibly will even outgrow, um, you know, a 4-3 defensive end. But he's going to be a a really, really good one.
1: Yep. Okay. Moving along for me, in order for Chip Kelly to guide the Bruins to win eight of their first nine games this year, they're going to need some pretty stellar play from the quarterback (laughs) position. And I'm predicting that to occur. So I'm expecting a breakout from, was it, DRT, (laughs) Dorian Thompson-Robinson. So he started as a true freshman for Chip Kelly, uh, and that was two years ago. Last year, got hurt uh, and missed some time. And across his starting career, he's had what you would expect from an inexperienced uh, player Ups and downs. There's been some some highlights, including that incredible uh, eight-overtime matchup with... or sorry, the... Whatever it was, 80 to...
0: Washington State.
1: 70-odd point game against Washington State, where he threw for something like eight touchdowns. Um, And then there's been some absolute howlers where he's turned the ball over, he's looked terrible, he's looked like he can't complete a pass. I'm expecting it to come together for him this year. I think that Chip Kelly offense is really friendly for quarterbacks. It's predicated around making it easy for the quarterback to do the right thing. And I expect big numbers early on. I think they're going to get on a roll. I think, as I said, it'll kind of all come crashing down for them towards the end but by that time he would have built up a fair bit of hype and i think we're going to start to hear some draft stock talked about him here because he he has the tools to be uh an nfl player and if it can come together which i'm expecting it to yeah don't don't surprise to see him vault up some draft boards
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, um, I, I don't agree, but sure. Uh, if if Chip Kelly's going to get to his, you know, 15th win or whatever you're saying he's going to get, then uh, he's going to need his quarterback to do something. Uh, the last one for me, and this is a pretty popular one, actually, is George Pickens, uh, the wide receiver for the Bulldogs, actually ended up leading the offense, which was about as exciting last year as a wet shoelace Um, But James Coley has been replaced by Todd Munkin at the offensive coordinator position. Jamie Newman comes to to town who brings a very different skill set from Jake Fromm, before him Jacob Eason, Um, and before him, I'm now short of memories, Aaron Murray. No, it wasn't Aaron Murray, but um, you know... They don't have that kind of more pro style set offensive, uh, uh, sorry, offensive coordinator, quarterback um, statue behind the offensive line. So he should bring a bit of a different skill set and it should look to open up more one-on-ones for an extremely speedy number one wide receiver type to win on the outside. So expect a big year from George Pickens.
1: Absolutely. I think Georgia are going to be an absolute force this year and he is going to be a big part of that. He's one of the most dangerous playmakers in all the country and I expect to see some some good numbers and some incredible on-the-field play. So that's a good call, my friend. I will wrap things up with another defensive player. I've gone Dax Hill out of Michigan. So... Uh, this is a five-star kid who was recruited in 2019 and saw the field a decent amount as a freshman uh, and is, is really going to step up and play an important role for Michigan this year in, in what looms to be an important season for, for Jim Harbaugh. Um, I think Dax Hill has the skill set to really make an impact. He's he's one of those fun players that I love to watch on the defensive side of the ball because they have that next level speed and that anticipation to be at the ball, at at the point of collision as the ball arrives and they're either picking it off or laying a hit or or doing something that you just like watching. and, And he's a real playmaker in that space. So I'm really excited to see what Dax Hill can do for the Wolverines.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, He'll probably be another disappointment in the back end of that Wolverine defense who promises a lot, but, you know, the Wolverines won't deliver. So I don't have... The one position I haven't mentioned is a quarterback, so I will quickly mention Spencer Rattler because Lincoln Riley's the coach and that's about it. Like, that's kind of... be the first time it's not a transfer quarterback. Or maybe Chase Garbers at Cow. He was injured last year and they were heaps better when he was the trigger man there. Uh, last year so expect a better season from cow as well well that wraps us up my friend we have hustled through a lot of content here a lot of football talk which has been nice hopefully some of this plays out comes to fruition or in you know at least the season comes to fruition Um, are there any last comments that you would like to add no that's that's not cool you and your nerdy fucking headset you can (laughs) just pipe down um yeah thank you very much for joining us uh, it is always a pleasure i feel like i've had a couple too many beers tonight for a wednesday um but let us move on regardless on behalf of that guy up there in the perpetually wet adelaide hills for myself down here on the plains my name's aaron that is will and we will see you next time <laughs>